This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. You heard of this thing, the eight-minute abs? Yeah, sure, eight-minute abs. Yeah, the uh, exercise video. Uh Yeah, well, this is going to blow that right out of the water. Listen to this. Seven-minute abs. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it's 420, which means absolutely nothing to me, and there's definitely not anything on the special holiday calendar mom got us. So today... We've got Joe and OG talking about the top five considerations for buying life insurance. If your thought on life insurance is, who cares about my family? Screw them. I'll be dead. You can stop listening right now, as if you needed another reason. But if you want them to not only eat, but erect a statue in your honor, and I'm talking a quality one with money left over for monthly guano removal, keep listening. And we'll also share a headline about fees and throw out the Haven Lifeline to Jen, who asked a great question in our Facebook group. Then, I assure you, I'll share my trivia. And now, two guys who love their families and often treat me like their little brother, you know, for beneficiary purposes, it's Joe. And oh, J-J-J-J-G! How many times does he beg us, OG? Hey, uh, I got these forms. Could you just sign these forms? Doug's always pretty persistent with the uh, life insurance beneficiary designation. Always wants to be named in the in the estate planning documents. Life insurance, 401 k. It's, it's my side hustle. Title to the car. And he is hustling at the side hustle. Sign this quick claim deed to your house, just in case. Hey, <laughs> you never know. Hey, everybody, welcome to Wednesday and the Stacky Benjamin Show. That's right, you made it. Pull up a chair, grab some coffee, relax, because we're going to take you on a ride into the second half of this week. Oh, gee, we've got some fun. We are not having a guest today. You and I are talking about, okay, you're making that insurance decision. How do you make it? How? So it's fun not to have a guest? It it is fun. I, I, I like it when you and I get to chat even more. Don't get me wrong. Larry Swedra on Monday, man, that dude lit it up. But uh, I think you and I, you and I got some fun for everybody today. So we've got that. But first, we've got a headline about advisors and fees. But even before that, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. 
Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. All right, top five considerations when buying life insurance today. But first, our headline, so let's get moving. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our headline comes to us from investmentnews.com. Flat fees gain traction among advisors critical of asset-based pricing. This comes to us from uh, Jeff Benjamin wrote this. Nothing rattles the cage of the wealth management industry quite like a debate over fees, <laughs> particularly if the discussion promotes a move away from the golden goose of asset-based pricing. There are pockets of the financial advisory space that for whatever reason are boldly pushing against the popular model of asset-based fees in favor of flat fee models. OG, in your practice and other advisors you talk to, let's take a quick look behind the scenes. Are you seeing this too? Is this a this a chat that advisors are chatting about more and more? I think that there's a very vocal minority that are attempting to die on this hill as it relates to how you bill clients. And this is very much akin to the same thing that happened when you were an advisor 20 some odd years ago with the big transition from commission-based pricing to asset-based pricing, you know, kind of an ongoing, a transaction-oriented relationship versus an ongoing relationship. And and so, yeah, there's arguments pro and con on both sides, I think. I think the right answer, honestly, is probably both. You know, I think that there's a really great opportunity for people who before weren't able to, quote-unquote, get advice. You know, they're just they're, there's a cost to do business from a financial planning standpoint. We have staff, we have technology that we buy, you know, so on and so forth. And so there's a cost to provide that advice. Up until probably five or six years ago, the choice was, if you have money, you can pay me. If you don't have money, I don't have a method for you to pay. So therefore, I can't help. 
So show up when you've got a million, show up when you've got half a million, and then I can help you. Which is frustrating because people with less than half a million often need help the most. Well, and and that's kind of how I feel about it. I think that there's there's a lot of resources for helping folks that are, you know, (laughs) I got $2 million, now what? Like, that's a, those are good clients. We like those folks. But also, how do you get from 200,000 to 2 million? You know, there's probably a better path. And and like we talk about all the time, having somebody else that's kind of a dispassionate third party can, can have a better outcome or help smooth out the, the ride along the way. So this is really a, a, a great uh, second option or additional option for people that don't have the assets or, for example, have assets, but they're in their workplace plan. Like, what do you do for the person that has you know, a whole bunch of company stock and $2 million in their 401k or 800000 in their 401k, but no other assets? There haven't been ways for advisors to charge for that advice and for clients to pay for it. And now with either flat pricing or monthly kind of retainer type things, uh, it's becoming a little bit more uh, acceptable, a little bit more out there. So I think that the right answer is probably a little bit of both. That's what we do. We have we have some people that pay us monthly and some people that pay us based on their assets. But th- And it also depends on what you're looking for from your advisor, right? Which is why I think you should have both. If you come to your advisor just for uh, somebody to look over your shoulder, look and see how the financial plan is or have you build the financial plan, but you want to manage the money separately, I mean, there's upsides and downsides to that, isn't there? Yeah. Well, and I don't want to get too far into the, like, this is how you should run your business, right? As an entrepreneur, if you're a financial planner, you get to pick, right? I have tons of friends who say our minimum client size is $2 million. If you have 1.9999999, call me tomorrow when the market goes up and then you qualify. Like, that's cool. That's how they want to run their business. That's awesome. Some people don't do that. Some people say, I only want to do financial planning work for this group of people, or I only want to do financial plans. I don't want to have anything to do with managing the money. And all of those are great ways to run a business. And depending on where you are as a client, there's a path for you. There's somebody out there for you that can work in the manner in which you need advice or in the manner in which you need help right now. But this is where I think that uh, when people get in trouble, it's because of the fact, oh, gee, not that an advisor should charge an asset fee or that an advisor should use a flat fee model. It's the client doesn't know the question to ask. And the question to ask the advisor is, how do you do your pricing? And then does this align with what I'm really looking to achieve? And if not, I think this is a reason why, and you debated me about the number a few weeks ago, about how many people you should talk to. But this is why, a good reason why I think you need to talk to more people because so many entrepreneurs, so many advisors run their businesses differently. And just knowing the the scale of what's out there and the differentiation between, you know, choice A, B, and C is super important. Well, I, I'll give you a great example. I think it boils down to the advisor not being clear from the beginning. Uh, we just redid our website. I thought that the team that did it did a great job. And one of the things that I wanted to make sure is that we had our pricing there. And like, how do we work with clients? And some people say, well, no, you should make sure you get a get a conversation first. And oh. then you can really kind of, you know, you can, you can get them. Oh. Then you can get them. And I'm like, why do I want to do that? Like, here's what we charge. Here's how we work. I'll give you a great example. We don't do one-time financial plans. If you say, hey, I just want you to do this one time, check it out, let me know. We don't do it. That's just not how I've chosen to run my business for the last 
you know, 20 some odd years. And once again, no judgment on that doesn't make it good or bad. It's just, you can't be everything to everybody. That's right. And so there are people out there who do that service and who do a great job. And if that's what you're looking for, I kind of owe it to you. If you're looking at our firm to kind of sort of let you know that right away, you know, kind of in a non, not like you said, non-judgmental way. I don't, I, I think that the way that we do, it's great. I think that the way that, you know, the other folks do it, uh, is great. It's just whatever is useful for, for you as a consumer uh, in the moment, I think, is really what's most important. What we're trying to do, and I know, Joe, you've said this a hundred bajillion times, you know, we're just trying to make it so that it's more people can get advice. And what gets frustrating for me is like this article comes across as a little bit like, oh, if you don't do monthly, if you don't do flat fee, you're a terrible advisor. Yeah. That's kind of how I heard it. Oh, the beginning and, of that, the headline definitely has a little stank on it. It does. And this is what happens in that really tiny echo chamber of Twitter where like there's like 17 financial planners on Twitter, you know, they all talk to one another. And it goes back and forth like that. Like, oh, you're a terrible person if you don't do it my way. You're a terrible person if you don't do it my way. You're a bad business. So it's like, why do we care? I'm trying to help more people. You're trying to help more people. This is the way that I want to do it. And there's people out there that line up with the way that we work. And then there's people that line up the way that you work. Let's just all help more people. There's still 300 million Americans and roughly 100 and some odd thousand, not even CFPs out there. So we've got lots of people to help. (laughs) So let's just figure out a way to help more of them and move on with life. There are also people that think that uh, financial planning fees, you know, they hear these numbers. They actually don't know what the number is going to be. And they hear some numbers. Let me give you a number that's in this piece. Guy named Andy Panko, founder of Tenant Financials in this piece. He launched his firm less than three years ago. So he may have been a financial planner longer than that, but he's been running a financial planning firm for three years. So you're getting a person with three years of experience running their own shop, annual fee, flat fee, annual fee of 8400 for individuals and 9600 for couples. He says, my model indirectly rules out people with lots of assets and people with small amounts of assets just because of the way that he charges it indirectly does that because he's going to attract the people that are in that in that middle ground. But I think people hear a number like $8,400 and $9,600 and they go, whoa, hey, that's a big number. This is a dude, OG, who's run a shop for three years charging that number. I'm undercharging, apparently. <laughs> I don't know what else to say to that. <laughs> Hold on a second. I got to make some phone calls and uh, I'm just we got to update the website based on what you're telling me here. But based on like whatever your net worth is or your income stream, you look at your income stream and you think about the value of having somebody that knows you, knows what you're trying to do in your situation. This is a lot of the time like an insurance policy. I had a guy in Boston ask me, said, so, you know, I've got my money at, in, in index funds. How's, a, how's an advisor going to beat that? And I said, well, number one, that's an apple and an orange. An advisor does not beat that. An advisor makes sure that your situation dovetails each other and you're not stepping on yourself. It has nothing to do with asset management. And I feel like people are like, well, I can, I can just go to X firm down the road, you know, where I just online put all my stuff in and boom, I have an asset manager. That's not what an advisor even does. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not all that an advisor does. Good I mean, point. Yes. you know, certainly so covers part of that. Yeah. Investment planning is one of the six areas of financial planning. The CFP board says so is insurance. Like we're going to talk about it in a little bit. And so is estate planning and cash flow and debt management and so on and so forth. So, you know, I think that all of those things work well together and, yeah, there's some areas where you're stronger as an individual than other areas. Some areas where you have a lot of interest 
and you've put a lot of energy, so you're going to have a lot broader skill set as a consumer in a certain area than you might in others. And effective financial planning is the same thing as kind of running a, you know, a team or an organization or a sports, you know, camp or whatever. It's, it's like, we got to put all of these pieces together so that we all achieve this common goal or that all of these pieces achieve this common goal. You can't get to retirement without understanding how your uh, debt structure is impacting your cash flow, you know, or, you know, the tax situation affects your investments and all these things work together. So it's important that they all, that they all talk. That's my perspective on it. There's lots of people out there who are like hedge fund managers. They're finance people, right? Who are like, to hell with all that stuff. I'll just make you more money. Yeah. And then, you know, who cares? And then there's CPAs who go, I don't we need to know any of that stuff. I'll just work on this tax stuff. And that works too. You know, so there's not a, there's, again, I think I just come back to, there's not a right or a wrong way to do any of this. And you can charge whatever you want to charge and you can specialize in whatever you want to specialize in. And as a consumer, you get to pick all those things. I think that we should do a better job from the advisor perspective of being upfront with you as a consumer and saying, this, these are the people that we help. These are the people we don't help. This is a great client for us. This, this is where our expertise is. I think we could do a better job as a, of that as a community. But the overarching part is we just got to do more for more people, you know? And if the person you talk to in one of your book things there, if he's killing it, like, okay, cool. Good job. High five. Now go help somebody else. Like, can you, can you get somebody at work to make sure that they invest their money correctly in their 401k? Yeah. I mean, you're not a planner, but you obviously did a good job. So why don't you help the next person? Bring somebody along. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there is a guy later on in this piece that is going the opposite way. He said he's actually going to asset-based pricing, which you know is weird that they didn't lead with this person. But he said, the primary reason we switched was not to make more money, but rather to get out of the cycle of having to continually adjust retainer fees up and down. He said it was really a pain. And just an asset-based fee made it easy for the fee. It was easy to calculate. So in some ways, it is operational, which is just another thing, another reason to just ask that question up front and interview more than one or two people. I feel like too many people just interview one person and, and uh, yeah, okay, cool. And then turn out it's a bad fit later on down the road. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's really interesting. If you really peel back the onion, the folks who end up going down the kind of retainer flat fee type of concept, which is, again, I'm okay with it, how they came up with it and how similarly it's priced to just saying it's 1% of the money. It's an SFE. You know? Yeah. It's like, you know, there's a really well-known financial planner who kind of spearheaded this a long time ago, back in the early 2000s, very large firm. And he wrote a book on it, as a matter of fact. And you go back through the whole thing and you're going, okay, this is just basically saying it's 10,000 bucks for a guy with a million dollars. That it's, sounds a lot like 1% to me. It's marketing. And so what he says is, hey, we're going to leave it flat for, for three years, and then we're going to adjust it every three years based on you know, this calculator that we have, which looks a lot like how much money do you have times 1%, you know, but it's flat, you know, so and I get that again, from a business standpoint, now you've got cash flow, you don't have to worry about market fluctuations. Two years ago, when the market went down 30% in 17 trading days, guess what? That affected our cash flow. That was part of the deal. You know, it's a good thing and a not so good thing. So, so I get it. There's pros and cons to both. But I wish there wouldn't be such uh, vitriol that happens between advisors on their ways that they have decided to run their business. I think the vast majority of people are trying to do the right thing 
for their clients and and help as many people as they can. More, so we need we need more people and the people that are out there are too busy just throwing rocks at each other. Then, and uh, it's stupid. Yeah, it it's is. It's not stupid. even rocks. It's like foam pillows. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, we're going to dive even more into this topic. I know Brooke Miller has a lot of links for you if you join our newsletter, always free, uh, unsubscribe if you find it not worthwhile. However, if you want deep dives, it's called the 201, stackingbenjamins.com slash the number 201. And that'll take you to the sign up page for our newsletter. And tomorrow we'll have a lot, a lot, a lot of links uh, for this. Coming up next, OG and I are going to take our own little deep dive into the considerations when you're buying insurance. How do you make a better insurance decision, life insurance specifically today? We're going to do that in a minute. But Doug, I think you might have some trivia for us first, my friend. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. If you're like me, you're going to die one day. And if you're like OG, maybe someday next century. But it's still a great idea to get life insurance to make sure your family has a good buffet at your wake. There are several kinds of life insurance policies, and some of them suck. So my question today is, what is a policy called that's permanent, flexible, and offers mutual fund-like investments inside? Is it term life, variable universal life, or life as a highway? When you hear the name Navy Federal Credit Union OG, you probably think that it's just for members of the U.S. Navy. Well, you don't because you know better. In fact, I, I thought you had to be wearing blue when you applied. Oh, it's not that it isn't mandatory. But wouldn't that be a good idea? It would help. And you put a little like epaulets on your shoulders and yeah, I think camouflage would be more appropriate. Isn't blue camouflage on the ocean? It's true. Oh, Doug wins. Doug totally wins that one. Touche. If we <laughs> were trying has to no response. float in the ocean undetected, we should <laughs> color ourselves blue. <laughs> My wife said I look good in camouflage, but I just don't see it. <sighs> Where were we in this? Keep, in fact, keep talking. Navy Federal Credit Union serves all branches of the armed forces. This might be the last read we do for them after this one. They even serve families as service members and veterans like my dad of all branches. They're experts in military finances. They empathize with members' lives and go above and beyond to make sure they don't miss out on financial opportunities. They've helped so many members of my family. In fact, it's always great whenever you have a, a question with Navy Federal because they're members of their mission. It is such a nice conversation and their commitment to, well, to their members, to their customers who actually, you know, they're called members for a reason. They own a piece of the credit union. That's how the credit union works. It uh, is a great experience. And when it comes to buying a car, Navy Federal knows it's a big investment. That's why they offer rates as low as 1.79% APR on new vehicles, along with flexibility with monthly payments and terms. And now when you refinance your auto loans from another lender, members could save and get $200. So not only will you save on the interest rate so you can pay it off quicker, you'll also get $200. And especially with the depreciating asset, I love the idea of trying not to have an auto loan if possible. And also, by the way, if you want to save money, save money into an account at Navy Federal so that you can buy your car with cash, hopefully. So if you don't have a car payment right now, Save into a Navy Federal account the amount of what your car payment would be 
for your next car and prepay it. It's a fantastic way to do this. Get decisions in seconds if you do need a car loan, though, and start saving with Navy Federal Credit Union, available to members who are active duty veterans and their families and to earn and save more as a member. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Navy Federal is federally insured by NCUA, credit and collateral subject to approval, rate subject to change and based on credit worthiness, so your rate may differ. Refinance loan must be at least $5,000 to be eligible for the $200. Terms and conditions apply. Well, you know, when I think about Navy Federal, I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equalizing lender. Hey there, stackers. I'm future expired meat product and death investor, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, it's a shame that life insurance can be so confusing. They level premium term insurance, return of premium term insurance, increasing premium term insurance, whole life insurance, universal life insurance. Just shoot me already. No, not really, OG. Put that down. There's one policy that's permanent, flexible, and offers mutual fund-like investments. And my question was, what's it called? It's called variable universal life insurance. Obviously. And now, on to two guys who will live forever in the form of your investment returns. Thanks, Doug. Hey, you know, it's funny, OG, as we start this conversation about life insurance, and Doug talks about all the different types. That is number one, the place not to start, right? Don't start with the different types of terms. Don't start with variability universal life. Do not start with universal. Do not start with whole life. Do not start with a conversation about products because that's the number one way, I think, at least, to get yourself into trouble, isn't it? Isn't the best way to start by talking about how much you can afford per month? Whenever you're buying stuff, I th- <laughs> that's the best way. It's almost like the car lot. If you're talking to an insurance agent about how much you can <laughs> how afford- How much you got. <laughs> how much is it? How much you got. I got yeah. good news for you. You can, you can put $500 a month in this thing. We're going to talk about leaving a legacy. Oh, $10,000 a month. Well, guess what? We're really talking about a a legacy. legacy. Yes, that's good. No, don't start there. Start with whether you want to leave a legacy or not. So on that note, let's talk about where to start. And you know what's funny, OG? I'm looking at my list. So when we do these lists, everybody, OG and I do these without looking at each other's lists. So there may be overlap, which we always find interesting. I have not seen OG's list. I'm looking at mine, and normally we try to do these in reverse order, but I kind of also think that if I do these in reverse order, it's going to be weird because 
I think you want to think about the first thing first, like your number one, you want to think about first and then work your way to the fifth thing. So don't you think we go about it in that order? Uh, you just go about it in whatever order you want. How's that? Well, okay, let's do this. So Steve, we're going to start off with number one thing to think about and work our way down this time. We're going in uh checkbox style order. And so Steve, so confused. Let's, uh, let's hear the dude kick us off. Number one. My number one consideration, OG, when you're thinking about insurance is how long are you going to need the insurance for? Because when we talk about types of insurance, the two basic types are permanent and term insurance. And if you are certain that you're not going to need it late into life, well, then we immediately can cut out a lot of the complexity in this discussion and go right to term. If you know you're going to need it forever, if you're trying to leave a legacy or you haven't saved much money, but you know your beneficiaries are going to need a lot and that will probably happen until you die, it's going to be a more complex conversation. It's also going to eliminate the other side, which is you're going to eliminate term insurance. Okay. Good point. Good point. Incorrect, but uh, <laughs> but a good way to start. What's your number one? Thank you for playing. We have some lovely partners yes. for you. Set a Sorry. Uh, wrong. Uh, the first thing that I want to start with is how much do you actually need? You know, because what is the need that you're trying to solve for? Then we can figure out what kind of tools and, you know, we'll get to all the next stuff in just a little bit. But what are we trying to do? Are we trying to pay off the house in case something bad happens? Are we trying to make sure that, uh, you know, you start a children's hospital if you, you know, if you get hit by a bus? Like, what what are we trying to accomplish with or protect against, I guess, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to insurance. So I'm going to start with calculating what actually do you need? Well, which is funny because we might as well play our number two in this one. Number two. Because that is actually my number two, because I think that what do you need it for is the second thing that you look at on this journey. I think, okay, how long is this? You know, as I, as I sit here and I think about what you just said, number one and number two on my list are really wrapped together because once you say, what do you need it for? Then you're going to know how long you're going to need it for, right? Mm. If it is to leave a legacy, if it is to build a wing of a children's hospital, then it definitely is a forever thing. Now we're going with permanent insurance. If it's because I want to make sure the house is paid off and I've only got 10 years left on this loan, well, then I need it for 10 years maximum. Yeah. Yep. And I guess just my my brain works more correctly than yours. And and I think like, okay, how much is it doesn't you know, end, what Doug. are we trying to do? Like what's it the doesn't thing? End, Doug. No, it never will. <laughs> somebody has to be right. Somebody has to be right. And that somebody is this guy. It can't be me. <laughs> I'll let you get the next one right. How's that? So what are we what are we trying to solve? And then what's the amount of insurance that we're requiring? So those are kind of the two things. And I think those two things work hand in hand, just like you said, yours do, you know, because if I'm trying to solve for, I got to pay for my kid's college. Now I need to go, well, what other resources do I have available to me to do that? And maybe from a risk management standpoint, I don't actually need to have any life insurance or I need, you know, I don't have to calculate it from the perspective of, oh my gosh, my mortgage is $300,000. Therefore, I need $300,000 of life insurance. It's like, well, I already have accumulated some assets that can be used for that for that risk. You know, That's what I'm trying to solve for. I'm solving for how do I pay off my house if I die? I've got some cash. I've got some assets. 
And also I need some insurance or maybe I don't. So I love that idea. I love this bigger discussion of, do I need it at all? Right. Because now we're not talking about insurance. Now we're talking about planning. And I think it's, it's so much better than what a lot of, well, just salespeople want to talk about. It's, it's so much better to start off with what's the goal and can I solve it in a different way? If you think about it, it's, it's a different way of thinking about how to accomplish the goal as opposed to just assuming that the right answer is always it's it's no different than saying should i put money in a backdoor roth ira like i don't know probably but what are but you why? like what are you trying to do yeah, yeah why? like to what end it, well no i heard they're really good yeah they are really good it's cool it's fun it's tax free yada 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 but like what are you trying to do and then you find out like oh i'm good with retirement but my kids don't have enough money for college it's like okay, the Roth probably isn't the best thing. I mean, it's a good tool, but it's not the best thing. And I just think when it comes to insurance, so much is put on the product and not so much on the solve the problem. And the problem solving might be, you're good. You know, this is our plan. Risk management is about saying, what kind of solution do we have to think about in case something bad happens? Let's game plan that today and put it on the shelf so we don't have to worry about it. We're not trying to make complicated money decisions in a high stress time. So maybe the answer is, no, we'll just use the checking account. You know, I mean, think about it like this way. Remember all the, I I guess I don't see it as much anymore. Remember the Gerber life plans? Yes. Yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you don't see it as much anymore. You don't hear about it as much anymore, but their whole sales pitch was, could you imagine if your kid died, like how much money it would cost to like, Oh, the horror. And it's like, okay, I, that would be probably the worst thing imaginable. And also, I don't think that if I had, you know, could figure out like, oh, thank God I've got an extra 20 grand. You know what I mean? Like, that's not going to solve the problem. I don't care about the 20 grand at that point. Right. Like, for right. the future, like, like, it doesn't alleviate any concern. It doesn't make me feel better. None of that is happening because I've got this thing that I've been putting a dollar a day into since, you know, my baby was old enough to eat Gerber cereal. I've got the cash. Like it doesn't, anyways, they're solving a, the problem. That doesn't it's exist. a horribly macabre topic to talk about, but I think the approach there is really just, if you have to, if you really feel like you're tight on funds, cover burial costs. But after that, yeah, you don't, that cash is almost, you probably feel guilty about it. Yeah. Number three, because I was uh, building this upon that we would need life insurance and not on what I totally agree with, uh, OG, your discussion around let's do risk management planning. That's why my number three is very insurance based, which is how healthy are you? And it's funny because I actually think about this differently. If you are less healthy, I think it means that we need to figure out a solution very, very quickly. And we also know that there's no cheap way out of this. Mm -hmm. If we need insurance, we need to face the fact the way it is now. And and I would often see people that weren't that healthy that because of the fact that it was going to be more expensive to solve the problem would go, well, then I'm not solving it, which by the way, is a solution, but not a very good one. Yeah. That's a very tough discussion to have, you know, as you're working with, with clients, like, this is the reason actually that you you need it. We did the health screening and uh, not no bueno. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've had one client who in 25 years, thankfully, one 
that was severely rated for their insurance. You know, like thought was healthy, all the medical stuff came back and the insurance, you know, the underwriters called and said, we can, we can offer the insurance, but it's going to be like six times as much as you thought. I'm like, what? What's going on? Like, well, we can't tell you it's protected health information, but yeah, it's like six times as much. And I went, huh, I wonder what that means. No joke. Two weeks later, the person was dead. So to your point, if, if, if you're unhealthy and you have an insurance need, you have to solve it. Or maybe the solution to what we were talking about before is you have other resources to solve the problem with, right? You go, well, I can't solve it with insurance because of X, Y, or Z, or I'm ineligible for it or whatever. So now I have to do this other thing instead, right? I have to aggressively pay off my house because there's not enough money to pay it off if I pass away prematurely. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's different ways to, again, coming at it from slightly different yeah, angle. You're, you're going to rearrange the priorities then. Yeah. yeah and you have to. Yeah. 100%. Because you have new data. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. The way that I uh, kind of structured mine was a little bit different as we talked about. My number three is who's going to be in charge of all of this. Oh, good. When you think about so like, Again, from a risk management standpoint, so you figure it out, okay, I need some insurance. Okay, I need a million dollars. Like, who's getting the check? Are you going to have your kids in charge of it? Is your spouse in charge of it? Are you going to have some estate planning documents built around this? Are, you know, how complicated or uncomplicated are you trying to make it? Because it's a boatload of money. It's not, you know, a lot of times people say, well, gosh, do I really need a million dollars of life insurance? I don't know. That's what, forty or $50,000 a year of cash flow? That's <laughs> It's really not a lot, but a million dollars looks like a lot on paper. So you have a different relationship with that with that money at that point. If it's replacing a primary income earner in the house, that's that's all the money there's going to be from that that person, right? Forever. So, you know, it's a different relationship with that money. So if you're not equipped to all of a sudden go, hey, I, I know how to handle two million dollars dumped in my lap today, as you're thinking about this insurance strategy, risk management strategy, I think you have to think about who is going to be helping with with implementing it on the back end. I love how this all ties into a larger plan, a larger estate plan, right? Who's who's going to do this? Also, just so people know, it's it's also interesting. This is the way they award uh, wrongful death lawsuits. They award it based on the person that is going to need the money. How competent are they with that money? And what is bizarre to me is that immediately the attorney for the person who's going to get the check tries to paint them as a dumbass. And, 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 and the reason is it gives them more money because the jury or the judge assumes that it's going to get a lower interest rate. So the attorney will get them a bigger check today. It's the same thing that they do for pension payouts. Like if you if you get you know you're on a pension and then all of a sudden you get a an opportunity to get the lump sum pension it's based on it's not based on whether or not you're an idiot it's, based, right. it's like legitimately based on interest rates because because the pension board or you know the people who calculate this assume that you're going to be ultra conservative with it and I think that's another factor in this I didn't put this on my list but I think it's another sure. factor in this in as you think about the deployment of these assets God forbid you actually get the check you're likely to be more conservative with it than you are while you're accumulating assets because of the fact that it's a finite sum. When you're working, you can be aggressive, whatever that means to you, because you're like, well, I'll just work tomorrow. And if it doesn't play out, I'll just work another year. I'll just work another year. But if there's a 
you know, uh, a, a loss of life and you're like, here's this check, it's a million bucks, you're going to be less aggressive with it. You're going to be more conservative because of the finite nature of that. Even, even if you say you're not going to be, you sure. will be. Absolutely. Number four. The last two of these, I think, are definitely predicated on the first three and also kind of expand the discussion and are going to, once again, change the products that you use. Another reason as we go through these that you don't start with product. I mean, look at how many conversations we've had around planning first, and it's definitely these first three we have are going to change it. Number four on my list, OG, is because people don't think about this enough until I directly ask them. And many, many, many people all of a sudden had a feeling about this, which is how do you feel about a legacy, right? It's not just maybe about paying the house off. What do I want to have happen when I pass away? Is there any type of legacy planning that I want to have? Is there a way for me to think bigger? And again, this has a lot to do with your overall estate plan and the money that you save. But also I think there's a, there were people that I worked with specifically, OG, that started saving too late, knew they saved too late, and they held on to life insurance, though, because of the fact that they still wanted a legacy and paying X amount of money per month or per year to make sure that somebody else or some organization got this money was a big part of, of their life and something they wanted to make sure happen. Life insurance is the fastest way to create an estate, period. I mean, it, the internal rate of return on life insurance premiums is virtually always positive, you know, I mean, like, and obviously that rate of return goes down the longer that you have it, but it's, it's the quickest way to create an estate when there, when there hasn't been one or wasn't one. So if that's important to you, and like you said, you're a late saver and you're like, I can't accumulate enough money for me and for the grandchildren, then this is a way to, this is a way to do it for a lower dollar per, mm-hmm. you know, per output, so to speak. So my number four kind of a different path altogether, like we talked about, is now I'm getting to the point where I'm trying to decide what kind of type I need. Mm-hmm. So I've figured out what am I trying to solve? How much am I trying to, how much do I need? How complicated or uncomplicated am I trying to make this in terms of people that need to be involved in it? And now I'm getting to the product selection time in my mind, which is now how do I, how do I solve this problem? I've got this problem. I've narrowed it down to these types of things. So now what tool am I going to use to to solve it? And maybe the tool is insurance, maybe it's not. But now is the point where I'm going to get to kind of that term permanent type concept and then all the different variations within it. Yeah. And, and if it is a short-term need, definitely term insurance is going to be the way to go. It's going to easily be the way to go. And it's because of the fact that these actuarial tables are based on whether the policy is going to have to pay out or not. And if it's a short-term need, in most cases, a term insurance policy will not pay out, which means the insurance company can easily afford to charge you less because they're not on the hook. A permanent policy will cost more very specifically because there's a 100% chance they're going to have to pay as long as you keep paying. And so if that's the case, it's a $100,000 deathbed on a term insurance policy, you know, very rarely are they going to pay that 100000 bucks on a whole life policy. They're going to pay it every time as long as you keep paying. So I think that's that is important. Which brings yeah, up, and they spread it out over the over the yeah the, the lifetime. Which is why you see the sales aspect of it, where people say, "Well, if you if you start it when you're 20, it's only X dollars per month." It's like, well, yeah, because you're paying it for 
forever. You know, 80 years or whatever Right. It is, and it's know? funny because uh, I've had people tell me, well, my insurance is free because it's paid up. Paid up does not mean it's free. Even when you can't see the inner workings, it means that you prepaid so much money that, yeah. that it's now going to pay the the ongoing costs. Yeah. And that might be a strategy too, depending on how you have cash flow. You might want to prepay 100%. it over a quick amount of time, but realize it's not free. It is ni- Yeah, one lump sum. There's all sorts of ways to to solve that problem. I would say, even to your point about the timing, if it's a really short-term need, don't exclude things like group coverage or spousal coverage on the group benefits plan through work, you know, because there's some downsides to that, but that's a pretty low cost and, and very quick to implement type of coverage every year along the way. Which actually was my number five. So sorry about that. Number five. My number five was how, how do you fund that strategy, which we just went over a bunch of ways. So there's my, there's, there's my last one. You got it correct. I wrote cash flow and cost. Did, nice job. So there you go. You finally got one right on the last one. Good job, Joe. I did like the fact, Doug, that OG and I thought we were going to come in exactly the same and we totally didn't. Yeah. Every time we think, Way oh, off. we're going to do the same stuff and we did not do the same stuff. You guys are so different. I don't know why you would have ever thought that in the first place true. No, I'm serious. But lots of, lots of great considerations there. Before you get to the type, I love that discussion specifically with the takeaway of do not start with the type because that that's not going to lead you anywhere. Great. Hey, let's do a listener question. OG today's question comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. Doug, you know what happens when you go to stack slash magnify money? Uh, you find out how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. Oh, how many? Isn't it three? Wasn't the answer always three? Three. Yeah. One, you roll your two, arms. three. You have to be certain age to know that reference. You find those financial products you use every day, probably nowhere near the best in class because a lot of stuff online beats that brick and mortar stuff that you're using. Over 92% of the products available online all ranked at Magnify Money head to head. Head to stackybenjamins.com slash Magnify Money for more. Savings accounts, checking accounts, CDs, it's all there at Magnify Money. You know, rather than go to the phone lines today, I wanna I wanna talk about an interesting question that Jen had recently in our Facebook group called The Basement. Stackybenjamins.com slash basement will be uh, the link. It's a pretty long link if you try to just find it on Facebook. So stackybenjamins.com slash basement will give you a direct route there. Jen asked the stacker hive mine, I've recently decided to pay off my mortgage early. I have 28 years left. So very recently decided. That is is very early. (laughs) Yes. So I have the freedom to leave a high-stress nonprofit job for something with less stress and probably even less pay. I like the idea of investing the extra payments and then paying it off in one lump sum. Depending upon my diligence, I could get this done in four to six years and still have money for the other important things like the employer match to my simple IRA, spoiling my pets, and Botox, she smiles. Does anyone have any experience with this method? I've combed through the other mortgage posts and have seen hints of this, but nothing detailed. Would love to hear what the stack ride mind thinks. And you know what, Jen? Uh, we thought OG and I can also talk about this because uh, we really haven't talked about it much lately, OG, in detail. I feel like we used to talk about this question all the time, and we've been covering questions in a lot of different areas. So pay off the mortgage early, pay it directly to the mortgage 
or do you set up a side investment fund and pay it that way? Well, I would say that I have never seen anyone make their last mortgage payment. And what I mean by that is their 360th mortgage payment. Because there comes a point in time as the house is starting to get paid off where you go, okay, I only owe 20000 screw it, I'm paying it. Or 80000 or whatever number it is that you have enough money lying around that you say, okay, I'm going to write the check. So nobody pays. I've never seen anybody. That doesn't mean nobody. I've never seen anybody make all 360 payments or all 180 payments to pay it off. But I've also never seen anybody have 360 payments scheduled and then pay it off in one big giant lump sum at the 15 year mark or at the 20, you know, where it's like, and then I wrote a check for 400 grand. I've seen people do 80, 60, 100 maybe, but never that. I'm going to invest the difference here for 15 years. And that's the argument, right? By the by the 30-year term, pay the 15-year payment to yourself, right? The difference, invest it, and then in 15 years, you've got enough money. I don't know that anybody would do that because you get to that point 15 years hence where the mortgage payment is going to be a smaller percentage of your overall income, assuming that your income has gone up over a decade and a half, which it likely should. So it won't feel as stressful. And then also you look in your brokerage account and go, do I really want to write it? You know, I got to pay taxes on this. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's $400,000. Like I'm just, it feels different versus making extra payments along the way. The other thing that I would mention on this particular issue for Jen is that she has a very aggressive time horizon. She said four to six years. Right. And anything in that three to five, we'll say six, just because it's there, time frame you want to be ultra conservative on anyway. You would never invest aggressively for a time horizon that's three years or four years. You would say, hey, I, I know I want this money in three or four years. I, I have to get the outcome. And the reason for that, Jen, by the way, is over a short period of time, like a year or two or three years, the markets, it's not a casino, but it certainly performs in erratic moves over short time frames. But over long time frames, the trend is up. So the more time you give it to go up, the better you're going to be, which is why, you know, it's, it should be at least 10 years if you're going to use that invest it strategy. Yeah. So now you're back to, if I'm going to in, invest, air quotes, but it's for a time horizon of three to five years, I'm going to be putting in my savings account anyway, or something very low risk because I need access to that capital. I need the outcome to be guaranteed in a few years. So... Why would you do that and not just pay it on your house? Because your house payment or your your interest on your mortgage is probably in that, you know, two to four percent range anyway. That's kind of sort of where they settle have settled out in the last couple of years, going up now. So get it while the getting's good. But if it's gonna be a low return anyway, your savings account's gonna give you half a percent. Paying interest on your house is gonna give you two and a half. So I would do that. Um, so, anyways, all that to say, if you want to pay it off in three to five years. Just put the extra payments on the house. That's what I would do. It's a guaranteed outcome. You know what you're getting when you put the payment in, and you can see the accomplishment every single month where you're like, okay, I'm watching this go down. I'm doing the thing that I want. If you've got a 15-year time horizon to do it, sure, go ahead and invest the difference, but I'm almost certain you won't pay it off in 15 years. But I'm also certain you won't wait till the very end. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just what I've observed over, over the years. Well, you know, it's OG, oh, when I did use this strategy with clients, I would find that when people got to that equilibrium spot, 
they would never pay off the mortgage. What, what people yeah. were really chasing was the ability, to your point, to pay it off whenever the hell they wanted to. And also, by the way, they wouldn't pay it off right away. We just hook up that mountain of money to an automatic payment so that it would make the payment for them. And now they had the free cash flow to spend on whatever they wanted to instead, increase their mm-hmm. lifestyle. That happened a lot. And the only time they did pay it off was also they got down to that $20,000 left and went, okay, well, let's just let's just end this. That's yeah, when it's going to be gone it. this year anyway. Yeah. yeah. I've got this theory about, about debt in that if it's in the same... 12 month period because a lot of times we think about our lives and you know this year type of concept if it's in that 12 month period from a cash flow standpoint you know over the course of yeah. the year you might as well just pay it off in just one month just do so. it absolutely because you're going to pay it off this year anyway right if you're you know if you're paying off a credit card or a car payment or something like that like again i don't know that i've never met anybody that makes all of their installment payments to the penny it it just seems like Eventually you go, well, there's only two payments left. I'll just pay it off now. You know. Well, we look deal, at so. we look at and as a point, because you talk about you want to be really conservative. And even right now, as we record this, it's a tough time for conservative investments. You know what a fan I've always been of Ginny Mays and the fact that Ginny Mays in most markets is a pretty darn safe place to invest in bonds. And Ginny Mays, the day we're recording this, we're recording it a little bit early, but it's not going to come back all this in anytime soon. Ginny, I share Ginny May exchange traded fund OG is down 5.67%. Super conservative investment. You've lost five and two thirds percent of your money. Since when? Year to date, just year to date. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say in the last year, it's more like minus 10. But the reason for that is because of interest rates, right? Interest rates and and fixed income prices are on a teeter totter. So interest rates go up, prices go down. So you're getting a little bit better rate, you know, but not to offset the uh, the uh, decline in cost. But yeah, there is just kind of a weird. It's a weird thing. And over short periods of time, if you're trying to be done with something, or if you have a short term goal, you can't take any risk with it. And yeah. even fixed income, which is generally more conservative still has performed negatively over over this period of time. So not great. Every investment has an Achilles heel and we're in that special spot where it's Ginny May's Achilles heel. Inflation high, interest rates moving up, bam, not a great time for that type of investment. But thanks for asking in the uh, Facebook group that question. Of course, Jen uh got a lot of different um got a lot of different answers from people in the basement, which is always great, but I thought that we could do two things. Number one, tell people we have a community of people, stackybedjamins.com slash basement that they can join. But also second, kind of add our two cents to this really interesting discussion that we haven't talked about in a while. However, Jen doesn't get the swag because you didn't call us. If you want to call in with your question, it's stackybedjamins.com slash voicemail. And then you take home a Greatest Money Show on Earth t-shirt. And that's because we want to hear their voice, right, Joe? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, not only Doug, does it add to the show, but it also is, it's nice to hear the different people and the different questions that people have. It really adds to the flavor of the show. So we're very happy to send you a shirt. That's going to do it for today. Hey, a couple things. As I record this, I'm getting ready to leave for a place that I was yesterday. (laughs) As you're listening to this, Indianapolis. (laughs) It's very meta. Yeah, as you're listening to this, I'm getting ready to leave to go to the place yeah. that <laughs> I was yesterday. That I already was. Yeah, welcome to the Matrix. And actually, you know what? As I think about that, I'm not even there. 
I am, I'm, I'm long past that because we're recording a little bit ahead just because of this uh, 40 city tour that I'm on. Tonight, I will be in Kalamazoo at Hopcat, downtown Kalamazoo. Join me, and it looks like a nice group of stackers for my hometown of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, should be fun. And uh, because Kalamazoo is a smaller city, looks like a nice small group, going to be a good time. But then, man, we are packing the house in Chicago on Thursday. We are at Cliff Dwellers, a very special night. There's a good chance, unfortunately, stackers, that that one is sold out. Come out to the suburbs for Friday and Aurora, where Hop Vine Brewing in Aurora can handle a lot of people. So come join us there. It looks like uh, we're going to have a nice crew of people there. Then Saturday, Sunday, Milwaukee. Next week, looking at you, Minneapolis and Madison, Wisconsin, stackybedjamins.com slash stacked gets you signed up for all of those. But if you're not here for just Surround Sounder to hang out with us, you really need to make your team better so that you can either leave a legacy, make better decisions, whatever it might be. OG and his team are taking clients. So head to stackingbenjamins.com slash OG, and that's their calendar. And we'll let you start thinking bigger about your goals and what you're doing. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, what should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, sure, life insurance is complicated and we can't fix that for you. But what we can do is help you think better about your planning. Start with the product last and with the process first. Second, thinking about paying off your house early? Only start an outside pay off the house early fund if you are going to grow it over a long period of time. Markets are volatile and you don't want to inadvertently extend the time it takes to pay off your mortgage because you were too aggressive. But the big lesson... No matter what type of insurance you buy, I'd highly recommend getting a bigger policy for your spouse and making sure you're the beneficiary. I mean, if you're going to be single and sad, you might as well be partying like a rock star on a yacht with Kanye and Fiddy. Am I right? This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. 
I'd love to talk to you guys about uh, what you're watching on TV because I just finished a series yesterday uh, as I'm going around the country trying to catch up to where Cheryl is on these things. And I just finished season four of this uh, long-running series called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's when I'm me. A girl knows a moment. Every single show, I'm going to say exactly what's on my mind. Mrs. Maisel, time to start the show. I think it's time to start the show. And this is my moment. Mrs. Maisel. A once in a lifetime. <laughs> We're going out. Where? When I can explore a new ending. Where are you going? To grab a hat. Do not change your wardrobe. It's fine. Just the hat. It's never just a hat. I'm going to do great things. <laughs> I think you get a great feeling there just from the style of music and the time frame. And uh, man, this show always has looked really pretty because it's uh, the time of Lenny Bruce as a comedian. And uh, Lenny Bruce actually is a character in the show that Mrs. Maisel knows. And if you're not familiar with this show at all, uh, Mrs. Maisel, Midge Maisel, is a woman who lives in an era where women were staying at home and were expected to be housewives and had a lot on their shoulders from society's perspectives. And it was a big old no-no to go out and be a comedian. And she's trying to forge a career and uh, this is Joan Rivers' life story, isn't it? Or at least her early days. I, Based on Joan Rivers, I think. It, I, you know, it's funny. I've never done the history because I've just been enthralled with the characters as they are. Like, I just like watching it. And it's funny that yeah. you say that because I do not doubt it. Um, I think it is. But man, what a great series this has been. And as I was getting this clip ready, I saw a review that said season four review of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, no longer marvelous. Yeah. I have to say that that has been the case for me. This season four was so uneven. It was the first three seasons were so good. This one was super uneven, but I will say this, the last episode of season four maybe the best episode of the entire series I've seen, which is always the case, right? You got to swim this moat <laughs> late, late there to get the nuggets of what's remaining. And they're definitely setting up season five. Wouldn't be surprised if they've already signed on the dotted line for season five, but love the series. If you want to watch some quality TV, mm. this won a ton of awards and rightfully so watch the first three seasons of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel Disagree. season four. You didn't like the first three seasons. Yeah, I dropped out after about the third episode of season three. It just got repetitive. I'm also not, this feels like a Broadway show that got moved to television or, you know, film. Oh, I and, thought it was fabulous. And I, you know, just fabulous. the first two seasons I did enjoy, no question. I enjoyed those, which is why we kept up with it. But then we got into season three and just kind of felt like, man, it's just over. It's the same thing over and over again. And we just lost interest. It wasn't like we made this formal decision. It was just like, oh, you know, one day we were surfing for what's the next thing we're going to stream. And we lost track of Maisel. And then, the, you know, a couple of months later, it's, oh, you know what? We never finished that. Eh, pass. I did that with the show Weeds. I did that with Weeds. Yeah. I watched the first, uh, like, season half of Weeds. And halfway through season two, or maybe season three, I went, I, I, I just didn't go back. Just, yeah, yeah I'm done. I, I don't remember. It's a long time ago. That's a, a long old reference you bring up, but I'm sure I did the same thing that that, that show went on a little too long. I was making a list of the stuff we're watching now and realized I got to watch, stop watching so much damn television. Cause <laughs> <laughs> well, before you get to your list, I just want to say one thing to put a pin on Mrs. Maisel, which is this, you said it's repetitive. It's the same. I would say season three is more of the same. 
I felt season three was like a warm blanket. I like that universe. They'd moved to Europe, which I thought was really fun in season three. It had a little different feel that way. But season four is way different. Season four, they go in a whole different direction, but she's angry all the time. And I don't like Mrs. Maisel when she's angry. I like her as happy and bubbly and the glass is two thirds full. Like that's the character I like. And she's not that character anymore. You get enough angry from OG. I I do. I don't don't need need more anger in my day. Right. I'll just go watch Peaky Blinders and go kill somebody, you know? Or uh, the other show I'm watching, The Last Kingdom, which yeah. the, the the new season, The Last Kingdom, I'm only partway through that, but that's that's great. Great TV. It is, but there was such a gap. I had to really struggle to remember who the characters were. And- I did too. I couldn't remember yeah. anybody. Yeah. And everybody's name is like Ethel Foden. They all start with Ethel. I can't keep them all straight. Which Cheryl and I were talking about that because she made the same point, Doug. If everybody's name is Ethel something, it must mean son of or daughter of, yeah, you know what I mean? Probably from. Yes. It's right. gotta be some, something cause there's no way everybody's name, Ethel, whatever. But also I will say this, they did a great job in the new season of the last kingdom of reintroducing the characters kind of slowly because I found after two episodes, I was back running again. I was like, okay. I didn't have them all all flooded at me at once. Yeah. Wait, is that his daughter or is that the king's daughter? And yeah. Right. Right. They they really did a good job of walking me back into it. So nice job. Uh, Last Kingdom. If if you're somebody that likes Game of Thrones and you want a more Game of Thrones, go watch The Last we, Kingdom. We've already done this. Yes. Like, let's not rehash Last Kingdom too much because we just talked about this in an after show in the all last- All that I'm doing is for people that are new to the show, Doug, just telling them who this is for so we can move on to okay, your next fine. thing, Dad. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> well, I deliberately used the word dropout earlier when I was talking about Maisel because we just finished watching the dropout on Hulu. Uh, that's, Never heard of it. Yeah, you have because uh, it's getting tons of PR. Uh, it's the Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos- scandal oh yeah yeah, yeah. uh and uh amanda seyfried i think that's how you say her name yeah she's so good like she a she looks a lot like elizabeth holmes in real life and i'm sure some of that has to do with the way they did her hair and makeup and all of that but you just you think you're watching the real person she's very good at at least my perception of what elizabeth holmes was really like and it was entertaining you know it's based on a true story there's there's characters that got created for this the lawyer in the show was sure there was a lawyer but it that wasn't the actual lawyer that was an amalgamation of several different theranos employees but that was entertaining i i liked watching that what's funny is i'm not interested in any of that stuff i'm not interested in elizabeth holmes about that whole trial about the stuff but if it's presented in a good way like i wasn't that interested in the facebook story but aaron sorkin's movie on that topic you know, was, was amazing. Yeah. And I think what you are interested in just because I know you so well, what you are interested in is how businesses get started. Sure. And that's what this is about. This is way more about that. They don't even touch the trial that you get a little bit of deposition leading up to like in the early days of kind of her getting caught and Sonny Balwani being caught, but it's all about business startup and, and how on one hand, our culture is all about fake it till you make it. And you might have to do a little bit of the shell game, a little bit of smoke and mirrors until you get up to speed and you're really, your product is really as good as you say it is or whatever. But if you get caught, man, we're going to vilify you to the ends of the earth. It's a weird double standard we, we have here in, at least in the latter half of this century, uh, early part of this century, I should say. So um, 
I think that was give really us one interesting. more. Yeah, give us one more series. What else are you watching? Um, I've actually we got a couple. Uh, the last days of Ptolemy Gray. We just started that. That's on Apple TV. It's Samuel L. Jackson, who, frankly, I know him as one character. I think most people know him as one character. He plays the same guy. You know, he's amazing at, at dropping F-bombs and, and all of that. And he's got a little bit of that anger mixed with a lot of intelligence. Love that about him. This is much more of a dramatic role. I'm sure people oh. listening can can probably rattle off 10 other great dramatic roles he's been in, but I just can't think of them right now. But he's really good in this as a, in, as a dramatic actor. The first episode, you kind of have to slog through a little bit. It's a little bit slow. But after that, it gets going and, and we enjoy it. Not the greatest thing I've ever watched, but it's, it's definitely something we're going back to. Um, Give us the idea though. What's it about? It's a, a man who is fully deeply into uh, dementia, an elderly man who's living alone in a, just a hoarder like apartment. And mm. I'm trying to figure out how to summarize this. His caretaker, who he has a great relationship with, is the only person basically in the world who he remembers even a little bit, is killed. And then shortly after that, he gets an opportunity to see a doctor with an experimental drug who can temporarily give him his memory back. And the only thing he wants to do when he has his memory back is figure out who killed his caretaker. Hmm. So... I enjoy it. We're enjoying it. Um, we also finished a show on Apple TV called Suspicion. I'd pass. Starts out good. Finishes last couple, three episodes. I only That's funny. Somebody just told me they were starting Suspicion in the first episode they watched. And they're like, this is really good. Yeah. First couple, three episodes, are they'll pull you in. But then after that, it gets a little preachy and a little predictable. Yeah. And I'm just like, ah. I finished it because as you've labeled me many times, Joe, I'm a completionist. So <laughs> I, uh, if I can do it, I'm going to, I'm going to finish something and it's only one season long, but I will say the thing that I've, I've completely, it was like a, a thing that felt like it backfired on me in a way. Cause I recommended to OG a while ago, man, you got to watch West wing. Cause it's, it's some of the best TV I have ever seen. We've talked about this and weeks afterwards, maybe a month or two afterwards, OG says, Oh yeah, I've been watching that. I was totally surprised. Like he didn't say, Oh, I'm going to start watching West wing. He just like one day he told me, yeah, I'm in season two. I'm like, Oh, I forgot all about that. Now I'm in, I'm like late at night after, <laughs> after my wife goes to bed, it's 1am and I'm like one more episode, one more episode. And I'm deep into season three and it's just as good. This is probably the third time through it. I haven't watched it in probably 10 years, my third time through it. And it's still amazing. Just a great way to end your day too. God, so yeah. good. Yeah. Highly recommend. If you haven't seen the West Wing, really holds up well. Yeah, really. And it's amazing to me. Sorry, Joe. The stuff in, I think the first season was 1999. The stuff they're talking about in the early 2000s, politically and socially, it's the stuff we're talking about today, 22 Still, years later. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. Yeah, how timeless. Yeah. I went back and just watched one random episode recently and went, wow. OG got one to throw in. Or are we done? Just watching the rest of Billions. Season finale is on the docket. Like the only only thing you watch is. That's it. Sorry, the rest of us have to work. I've, I've only seen the first two episodes and I need to go back. All right, speaking of go, time for me to catch a plane, peeps. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, 
and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.